Pacers are undefeated in 2024. They go into Milwaukee. They beat the Bucks. There's no drama this time. And yet the Pacers shoot five for 35 from deep and win. How'd they get it done? It's all coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Tuesday, y'all, and Happy New Year. Welcome into the first 2024 edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we are in Milwaukee. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm literally on the court of the Pfizer form. Uh, that might make for some audio hiccups. I could not find any quiet place in this arena to do this, so we'll do our best, but we're in the Pfizer Forum because that's where the Pacers just played, and they beat Milwaukee, and they beat Giannis, and they didn't have to shoot ridiculously well from three to do it, and they didn't need someone to be out for the Bucks to do it. A healthy Bucks team, a healthy Pacers team, and the Pacers didn't even play that well, and they win in Milwaukee. Such an impressive win by the Pacers, who keep finding this gritty defensive level and finding ways to win. This is their fourth win in a row to kick off a very important month for them. We have so much to talk about from this game. How they won despite shooting so poorly. Super impressive game from their bench who had 70 points. Matherin was fantastic. TJ McConnell was completely brilliant. And the Pacers have beaten the Milwaukee Bucks three times out of four. If you had told me that before the season, I would never have believed you. And I will start with that because... I've said this too much, and I, now I cannot say this anymore. The Pacers have shut me up. I said, I, I've said forever, the Pacers never beat the Bucks, especially when Giannis plays. They beat them last year in Milwaukee when Giannis played. That was like their only win over Giannis since 2018. They have now beaten the Bucks with Giannis three times this season. That's already a very impressive glow-up for the Pacers as a team. Giannis was, as usual, fantastic with a 30-point triple-double, but the Pacers found they, they were doubling him early. They were walling him off in ways that they weren't before, and he had 11 assists. He got the ball out, but they're willing to live with that. If it means he doesn't score 64 and shoot 32 free throws, those were impressive adjustments. But the starting point here for me is... Usually, earlier this season, even when they've beaten Giannis, they've shot well. They shot well in Indy uh, early in November. They shot moderately well in the in-season tournament semifinals. Not amazing, but well. Tonight, they shot 5 for 35 from deep, and they won. I mean, that is unreal to me. That the, the Indiana Pacers, the 2023-24 Indiana Pacers, can win a game making five threes. That already warrants a discussion. But just to historically contextualize how unusual that poor of a shooting night is in victory. The last time the Pacers won a game in which they shot under 20% from three. Mind you, they shot five for 35. That's 14.3%. The last time they shot under 20% in one was November 1st, 2019. They beat the Cavs 102-95. That night, the Cavs' leading scorer was Kevin Love, and their second leading scorer was Colin Sexton. The Pacers were led by 25 from Brogdon and 21 from Jeremy Lamb. And they that was the last time shooting under 20%. last time they won a game shooting under 15% from three, like they did tonight, was February 8th, 2016. 2016, the final score of that game against the Lakers, who sucked that year, was 89-87. Unbelievable. The Lakers' leading scorer that night was Kobe Bryant. Their second leading scorer that night was D'Angelo Russell. I mean, it, this we're talking eons ago. It's funny to say D'Lo with the Lakers. Their third leading scorer was Julius Randle. The Pacers' leading scorer was Paul George with 21. Their second leading scorer, George Hill. And their third leading scorer, still with the Pacers, Miles Turner. But, I mean, you're, we're talking nearly eight years ago. It is very hard to win shooting that bad 
from three, and the Pacers this season do not win if they shoot poorly from three. I don't, I, historical context is fun because it tells you how much of an outlier of a game you just saw. But, I mean, the Pacers this season, shooting under 30% from deep, have won once. And it was, funnily enough, against the Bucks in the in-season tournament semifinals. But under 30% has been a death sentence for them. Heck, under 37%, they've only won three times this season, which is its own thing to talk about with the Pacers. They're great at generating open threes. But, I mean, they, they don't win shooting poorly from three. It's not something they've done all season. So to only make five tonight, which is tied for their lowest. The other time they made five was in Boston when they lost by 51 points. The, all the rest of their times under 10, they've just completely looked miserable, again, outside of beating Milwaukee in the in-season tournament. The game in Orlando, the game against Orlando, they lost by 40. Their terrible loss against Portland, getting blown out in Minnesota, where their other times under 10. I think I've provided enough context to tell you how unusual it is for the Pacers, both this season and historically, to not only win shooting 5 for 35 from deep, but play pretty well, right? They they, they were down 15 twice, so that's going to sound like the Pacers did not play well. But I mean, if you looked at the game, too, like you look at a game chart of who had the lead and when, you would think the Bucks dominated, right? But really, the game was really close for the first four minutes. The Bucks went on a huge tear, and then the Pacers bench came in and got the lead back. And then it was close until halftime, and then it was like a three-point game for the first couple minutes of the first half. And then the Bucs starters went on a huge tear, and then the Pacers bench came in and changed the game again. So it looks like the Bucs were dominating, but that's just because for much of the first and third quarter when the game was like within five points and no one's really dominating in a five-point game, the Bucs were ahead for like all of that time. But outside of those runs from the Bucs, like in the middle of the first and third quarter, it really felt like the Pacers were the better team for much of this game, despite just a miserable shooting game. And that was going to be the story. I, I always, mid-game, am thinking about headlines because I have to write about games too. And I thought, poor three-point shooting dooms Pacers in an important game versus Bucks. But they overcame it. They overcame it. No Pacer made more than one three. Tyrese Halliburton was one for seven. Ben Mather was one for five. Obi Toppin was one for three. Jalen Smith was one for six. Aaron E. Smith was one for seven. Everybody else missed every three they took. And the Pacers won. So, I've given you enough context and nonsense numbers to say, wow, this is crazy that they won. How? How did they overcome this? How were they able to win a game in which those numbers that I just yelled at you for seven minutes basically happened? Well, Rick Carlisle talked about a key one, and this is something I harp on a lot when I talk about this Pacers team, but really any team. This is something that NBA teams have become more to focus on kind of in recent seasons. I think the Memphis Grizzlies were really the pioneers of this. The possession game, having more chances than your opponent, is is usually a typical way to swing a game in your favor. So how do you get more possessions? Offensive rebounds are a good way. Forcing turnovers are a good way. Taking care of the ball yourself, those are the best ways to have more possessions. Okay, so the Pacers had 14 offensive rebounds. They out-rebounded the Bucks 52-46. They had six more offensive rebounds, right? So there's, in theory, six, five, whatever, extra chances for the Pacers to score, either inside the arc or getting fouled or whatever. The Pacers only had seven turnovers in this entire game. Right, they were. They did a great job taking care of the ball, giving themselves chances. They had two turnovers in the second half, right? So they every time they came down the floor, they were getting a shot up or getting fouled or something, right? That is, in general, a very good way to combat missing is giving yourself lots of chances from two or at the foul line. And the Bucks had 11 turnovers and they had eight offensive rebounds. So you can, if you stack those two stats together, four more turnovers for the Bucks and six more offensive rebounds for the Pacers, that's like 10 extra shots. So the Bucks didn't shoot, like, amazing themselves. In fact, they were 10 for 40. That's pretty bad. But you can overcome making five fewer threes and having an awful night from deep yourself if you have 
almost a dozen extra chances created from extra possessions. And the stacking thing from that to me is a lot of times when I talk about extra possessions, I immediately point at raw shot totals. And that can be instructive. There's a little under the surface stuff you have to get to. And so in this game, you'd look at that and you'd say the Bucks took 93 shots and they shot 44.1%. And the Pacers took 97 shots and shot 44.3%. That's a close shooting percentage and the Bucks made more threes. So I still haven't really explained how the Pacers did this, but they took more shots. Here's the differentiator though. The Pacers got to the foul line a ton in this game way more than the Bucs. Remember, Giannis took over 30 free throws himself last time. The Bucs as a team took 26 in this game. That's still a lot. Giannis took 11. The Pacers took 38 free throws tonight. They were attacking the rim like crazy. In their best stretches, they were getting into the paint. They were making it happen. 38 free throws for the Pacers, a season high uh, by five free throw attempts. They've been over 35 times before tonight, and they haven't even been particularly fantastic in those games, although they do win a lot when they get to the line. They only have one win all season uh, in their, it looks like, eight games, shooting under 17 free throws. Like, getting to the line is obviously valuable. Free throws are efficient shots. The Pacers live there tonight more than they have all season, and they deserve credit for playing in a way that got them shots at the rim. You can just look at their shot chart and see that they were getting into the paint. They were getting close to the rim for their shots. So here's what the Pacers did well to overcome an awful shooting night, just to completely atrocious. They attacked the paint like crazy. They hit their, like, eight mid-range shots. They didn't turn the ball over, and they crushed it on the offensive glass. And that is how the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo's triple-double was not enough to beat the Pacers, who couldn't make a three to save their life. I can't believe that's a sentence that exists, but that is what the Pacers earned me saying by playing fantastic in just about every other aspect of the game that you can talk about. Credits to the Pacers. They've won four straight. They're 18-14. and 14. That's how you kick off the toughest month of your season. They get these guys again on Wednesday. We have plenty more to talk about from this game. The Pacers bench, Hal Burton, Matherin, McConnell. Is this a rivalry? Kind of. We have a lot to talk about still. But first... Got to talk to you guys about the lovely people over at Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. And it's simple what you do on Prize Picks. You pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. For example, not these exact stats, but similar Stephen Curry for more than or less than 29 points tonight, or Nikola Jokic for more than or less than 10 rebounds. That's what Prize Picks is, but you pick two to six of those for any variety of stats. Watch your winnings roll in. If you do well, they've got basketball season and football overlapping right now, right? So you can do combo leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made plus receptions. You can play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill or comedian Andrew Scholes. They have a reboot policy if your players get injured so you don't get completely done for. If someone you pick gets hurt, it is the best way to play daily fantasy sports, and you've got to try it. So go to prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA and use the code LockdownNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, you have to go to prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA and use that code LockdownNBA when you sign up. For a first deposit matchup to $100 at Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. Back here on Lockdown Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day here in the new year. We're leveling up. I see a lot of goals for content for people who want to get more listeners, and that's awesome. I want to talk to as many people as possible. I want to make Lockdown Pacers better than last year. That's my only goal every year, and I hope to do that. Make your second listen, Locked On Bucks, another fantastic Locked On podcast to hear about their perspective from the loss, what the Bucks did poorly. They also shot poorly in this game. Damian Lillard did not have the impact he would want. Three for 16. Credit to the Pacers for some of that, and the Pacers late in the game hunted Malik Beasley a lot. 
Is that something the Bucks need to worry about? Lockdown Bucks will have those answers. That is something micro in this game that I want to talk about for a second is the Pacers close to the game before we get into any specific players and how they did because it was really funny looking through this game after the third quarter because the first and third quarter were extremely similar. In fact, to a T, similar number. First quarter, close for the first four minutes. Bucks surge, and they go up exactly 15. And then the bench comes in for the Pacers and chops that lead down significantly. In fact, they got it down to seven at the end of the first quarter, which was very important. To go down from down 15 to down seven in a big game like this mattered a great deal. The Pacers had more confidence. They knew their bench was clicking, and they took the lead in the second quarter. But... Noteworthy, the Bucks took the lead back by halftime. They were up seven at, or six, I believe, at the break of this game. Then the third quarter happened, similar deal. First four minutes, pretty close game, you know, five, six, four, whatever. And then the Bucks started a surge and goal 15, and then the Pacers cut it close, and they were down four at the end of the, of the third. So the question was, going into the fourth, had the Pacers learned enough throughout the game to have a different fourth quarter than second quarter, or was just the game flow with the lineups, with the stars, going to mean the Pacers would take a lead with the bench guys, and then the Buck starters would take back over and close it out, just like the first half. And the bench, Pacers bench took a lead early in the fourth, and the Bucks got the lead back. The Bucks were ahead. Giannis and Dame had just come back in, and I thought, okay, this is going to be tough, right? Dame and Giannis are plus a billion at this point of the game. The Pacers bench had been their only working thing for much of this game, right? Giannis finishes plus three, Dame finishes plus four. A lot of Pacers starters were big in the negatives, right? Outside of Halliburton, they all were. You know, I thought that maybe this would be tough, but the Pacers, and Rick Carlisle to his credit, stuck with a lot of bench guys. Matherin was in a lot to close. TJ McConnell was in a lot to close. Obi Toppin played a little more in the second half than the first half. They found the combo of guys that were giving the Bucks the most fits and rolled with them more than the starters. Jalen Smith, Awful night for Jalen Smith, night to forget. Only played 11 and a half minutes. Andrew Nemhard got hurt in the first half, which also changed things. Uh, I have no idea what that flashing is. I hope that's not a fire alarm for those of you watching on YouTube. Um, and Buddy Heald didn't play as much in the second half. He did not hit a shot. But they found a better rotation, and that flipped the game. And then late, you know, it kept getting choppy. The Bucks were doing a good job keeping it close. Like, with five minutes to go, the Pacers end up winning this game by nine, right? It looks like they closed it out really well. We're losing light. This is going to be tough to see if we finish this out uh, before they kick me out of this arena. Uh, with five minutes to go, it's a two-point game, right? It was not like the Pacers were playing awesome at this time. The Bucks had it to five with three and a half minutes to go. Like, they were really doing a good job keeping it close. They got it to five with two minutes to go. I still thought there was a chance that this game would be tough for the Pacers to officially close out in a meaningful way. And then they were fantastic and perfect for the last about seven, eight possessions that they had. They scored on all of them, and they got a lot of stops, and they did it. Some of those right-side mid-range shots I was talking about earlier were important, but they just targeted Malik Beasley in a bunch of pick-and-rolls. Sometimes it was Halliburton who hit back-to-back pull-up jumpers with about two minutes to go. He had another one with about a minute to go. Sometimes it was McConnell who was either drawing fouls or getting to that spot. He hit a big turnaround fadeaway with about four and a half minutes to go and then got fouled on the next possession. You could point to a lot of things the Pacers did well. But offensively, they found a matchup they liked, and they targeted it. And Beasley would try to hide on either of those guards, but McConnell and Halliburton were playing so well. It wasn't working, right? So credit the Pacers for attacking that matchup. And they defended really well in the fourth quarter, and really for a lot of this game, and really for a lot of the stretch since that key practice before the Hornets game that I've already talked about. Um, but credit to the Pacers for, for what they did in the fourth quarter. Bucks scored 51 points in the second half. That's a very good half for the Pacers defensively, especially given their offensive output in this game. They scored 38 themselves in the fourth, right? I, mean, I know that 
the Pacers' numbers are high compared to other teams. But just given what their season is, here are their opponent totals since that key practice on December 19th, the day before they played the Hornets. They refocused on defense, they tweaked some things, they changed their priorities a little bit, and here's what they've seen since. 113 for the Hornets, 116 for the Grizzlies in a loss, 117 for the Magic in a loss, 117 for the Rockets in a win, 104 for the Bulls in a win, 126, that was their worst night, for the Knicks in a win, and then now... 113 for the Bucks in a win. My Mendoza line, for lack of a better term, for the Pacers and victory has been like 125, given what their offensive output has been. They've been below 125 offensively in a lot of those games. Their pace has been a little slower. In fact, they've only cracked 125 twice in that stretch, but they've defended so well it hasn't mattered at all. They've been fantastic on the end of the floor, and they were really great defensively late in this game. They were really good on both ends in the fourth quarter of this game, but their defense stood out once again. A lot of guys deserve credit for that, but everybody who defended Damian Lillard did a really good job. Andrew Nemhart in the first half and his small amount of playing time did a pretty good job with that. T.J. McConnell did a fantastic job with that. And Ben Matherin attacked Lillard on both ends, both as an offensive player with the ball and defending him, locking him up on the defensive end. So credit to everybody for stepping up in that way. And that is my brief transition into talking about Benedict Matherin, who just should play the Bucks every night. Can that be a thing that somehow happens? Can Benedict Matherin be given goggles that makes it so it seems like he's playing against the Bucks every single time he steps on the floor? If you'll remember the first big night he had this season where his stats really took off and it was clear that he was kind of turning a little bit of a corner, 26 points, 11 rebounds, was against the Bucks, right, in the in-season tournament against the Bucks, He had six rebounds, a key assist, and was plus 17 off the bench against the Bucks. Last month, he had a nice game, 14 points off the bench. He got to the foul line 10 times in that game. And then today, maybe even better, 25 points plus 22, 13 rebounds for Ben Matherin. And he was 1 for 5 from deep, but fantastically 8 for 10 inside the arc and took 9 free throws. He was attacking the rim like crazy on all of his touches, and he was making quick decisions. We talked about that a lot with him this season, but the key thing for Matherin's effectiveness going from pretty good to fantastic or whatever level you want to use to describe his play is generally how quick he makes his decisions. Catch, go. If he knows the play's called for him, he's very good at this, but he's been getting better all season, and Carlisle talked about this after the game, that even in, in free-flowing states or in you know more random offensive situations, being able to identify what opportunities he's going to have on the catch right away. His teammates have been encouraging him, his coaches have been encouraging him to catch, shoot. And you know he said that's getting more natural for him. I asked him about that after the game. He did that a couple times tonight, and then he had one ugly three on Brooke Lopez in the third quarter where you saw the opposite where he catches he shot fakes Brooke Lopez closes out he dribbles to his left once and Lopez is right in his face for a contest and he misses you can see the value so easily of how much better Benedict Matherin is when he catches and goes right away and he did that fantastically in this game all night on offense punishing the Bucks, getting into the paint making their life hard defensively making them rotate and so he didn't have any assists himself but I think he had some hockey assists he kept the ball popping. He made it hard for the Bucks all night. And you can look at his shot plot specifically, and it's very clear why he was so good. He missed one shot in the paint, and all the rest of his misses were from three or along two. All the rest of his shots and successes came because he scored right around the rim. All of his makes were basically right there. Only one of his makes was more than like four feet from the basket. Credit to him for getting by everybody on the Bucks in his way, for getting to the basket, for making the Bucks rotate, and for being so big for that second group off the bench. They needed somebody to step up and be huge, and he was huge early in the game, and he continued that into the second half. I think his first half 
Really changed the game for the Pacers. He had 12 points and three boards in that first half and was plus three. and was maybe their most consistent offensive threat. He led them in scoring with that 12 at halftime. So credit to Ben Matherin. He does very well against the Bucs all season. Their plus minus has been good against the Bucs all season with Matherin on the floor. And he once again was fantastic in this game against Milwaukee. TJ McConnell was great. Tyrese Halliburton was great in his home state, getting his first win in Wisconsin, where he's from. We have to talk about those two guys to close out today's show. But first we got to talk about the lovely people over at FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up. NCAA football was on while we were here watching a lot of that. There's still time to get in on the football action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers on FanDuel can get $150. Who? how about that in bonus bets? Guaranteed. Guaranteed $150 if you place a $5 bet on FanDuel. That is $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. you just got to place a $5 bet to do that. It's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. They have an easy app on FanDuel that's super simple to use, and they have a lot of betting options on there that everybody likes. Those live same-game parlays. They have bets in their Explore tab that people are all over. You can make a parlay on their Parlay Hub, which is the best way to find popular parlays, so you can get in on the same things as several other people and plenty more over there. Spreads, player props, whatever you like. FanDuel's got it. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup over on FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Back here on Lockdown Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. The Raptors won their first game with Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett. The Knicks won their first game with OGN and Obi and company. Check out Lockdown Knicks and Lockdown Raptors for more on that trade and the debut of the new players in new cities. I was going to talk a little about Ananobi today. Uh, but a lot happened in this game that was worth talking about. And we'll talk more about the Bucks with Ty Windish tomorrow. So maybe Ananobi talk will be relegated to Thursday or Friday. We'll get to that trade. It does matter for the Pacers, certainly, that a player who would fit them very well is no longer on the trade market. Tyrese Halberton, fantastic game in his home state. He's never won in Milwaukee. Obviously, he only played them once a year, his first two seasons. With the Kings, uh, a West Coast team does not travel to the East very much. Uh, but with the Pacers, he did not play in the game. They won here last season uh, when they were able to win against the Giannis-infused Bucks, And he'd only beaten them at home or in Las Vegas prior to today. So big game for him. He had, a, uh, I forget the number, he said dozens, hundreds. A lot of people are, were here to see him. There were a lot of people here to see him last time. Oshkosh, not super far here from Milwaukee. And he was really special. Couldn't hit a three, one for seven. No one could hit a three on the Pacers. I'm not going to criticize Halliburton for that. Um, he was one rebound off a triple-double, right, which would have been his second of his career. He finished with 26 points, nine boards, 11 assists, and was 10 for 15 inside the arc. Special player getting to the rim. And this was key for the Pacers, right? The three's not falling, and they still took some. They're a, they're a three-point shooting team. But they were good at adjusting and attacking the rim whenever they could, and Halliburton was, was good at that too. And this was a classic Halliburton game to me, right? Uh, you know, the, his best games, not his best games, a classic Halliburton game to me is a tough one like this where, you know, he's getting a lot of defensive attention and he's still passing well, but you can't really feel his scoring impact and you can tell he can do more. And he always can tell he can do more. So at halftime, he had eight points, six assists, five boards. Pretty good, but he was three for ten, right? And you just know something happens at halftime. He talks to Rick or he talks to his team or someone draws up something. And he's going to find a way to be better. And in the second half of this game, he was 8 for 12. He had 18 points. He had five assists again, four rebounds, plus 13 in the second half. In the first half, Tyrese Halberton 
was minus 18, right? Like, it was very significant. You could tell that they figured that out, and he was way better in the second half, uh, and that was huge to get his first win here, uh, you know, a state that's very important to him. Uh, the closest NBA team to him growing up was, was a big deal. Uh, it took him forever to, to get off the court because he was talking to so much family after the game, and he, he was massive in the second half. He was massive in the clutch, as usual. Would have been very cool for him to get a triple-double back here uh, in his home state. It was not to be, uh, but he was fantastic. It's hard to, to poke holes in one rebound. Uh, and again, would have been his second ever triple-double. Maybe the hero of the night uh, was TJ McConnell. Obi Toppin had a better plus-minus. When Toppin was out there, the Pacers did well. Toppin's defending a little better recently, uh, but he was just making quality plays. Like He only had 11-3-2, was plus 35. TJ McConnell was the engine for so much of the Pacers' success in this game. The Pacers' bench, this was the key stat that kept getting talked about post-game, 25 from Matherin, 11 from Toppin, 18 from Isaiah Jackson, who's not going to get enough shine on this podcast just because of how good a ton of other players were, and 16 from McConnell. That's 70 points off the bench for the Indiana Pacers. They were all fantastic, right? And the, some of that was that the Bucks bench was just terrible. I mean, they were sieves. They couldn't make shots. Uh, Bobby Portis was 4 for 12. Pat Connaughton was 1 for 3. Campaign was 1 for 4. Andre Jackson didn't even attempt a shot. The Pacers slaughtered the Bucks bench. But they deserve a ton of credit for those offensive players and their style being really good, right? I've talked a lot about that unit, that second group, not having a lot of shooting and that being a weakness for them. And I still think it is. In fact, they made two threes in this game. That still stands to reason. And Buddy Heald was not good in this game, right? Despite the bench success, he was not a good player. But they are good at attacking the rim. And so even without a ton of spacing today, the Bucks' defense was letting them get into the paint. And McConnell was the king of that. He cannot be deterred. I wrote last year about his low center of gravity and how that helps him get into the paint. He's good at those little Nash moves where he turns around and looks like he's retreating. He just whips around and attacks the basket. Uh, He's scrappy, so he just ends up with loose balls that get him into good positions. Like He was everywhere for the Pacers bench tonight, and that let him be be in the paint and be paint to great, as the Pacers like to say. 16 points, which tells his offensive impact short. He missed two free throws late. He missed some shots that he normally makes, but a lot of it came in the second half when he was getting to that little tosser fadeaway thing he likes 12 of his 16 points were in the second half nine assists uh, over half of those were in the second half he had five assists in the second half on his way to being plus 31 they closed with tj mcconnell and some of that was so they could attack malik beasley and some of that was because tj mcconnell earned it by playing an absolutely fantastic basketball game and some of that was that andrew nemhart hurt his back i think he'll be fine i don't know how if this will be a long-term thing or anything. Um, but I could see him walking around in the game. Uh, TJ McConnell, though, was just awesome, right? Not like his greatest stat line ever, but to see that kind of stat line, four rebounds as well, and every time he was out there, good things were happening. I mean, you could just see what it was. And similar to Matherin, like, if you pull up his shot chart, you'll see exactly why he was so good. His longest shot was like a 10-footer from just inside the right elbow. But he was threatening enough that he shot fake to three late in the game. And the Bucks were scared of it. They, he drilled a bunch of threes in this building last year, and he's not hasn't been a shooter this year, and he's not even taking him hardly. He only took one in this game. But he was just so threatening. The way he was able to make the Pacers' offense move, the way he was able to attack poor defense from the Bucks, make their defense rotate. You know, On a night where that kind of stuff wasn't as important because three-point shots weren't falling, he was still able to be absolutely fantastic. He had to be out there in key moments because he was so good. The Bucks had no answer for him. And the Jackson, excuse me, the McConnell plus Halbert lineups were fantastic. And that's how the Pacers were able to win a game in Milwaukee where they were awful at their best 
thing. Shooting threes, getting up open threes, creating open threes, a very valuable skill. They were not doing great at it in this game, but they get it done by a ton of guys. And I guess I'll talk about him. Isaiah Jackson was phenomenal. He was providing toughness. He got into it with Bobby Portis early setting that tone. Nine rebounds, 18 points. He was special. Look, I know the Pacers don't want it to be like a big deal, but what happened last time they were in this building with the game ball, with the drama, with the fracas, as Rick Carlisle called it, I mean, it's going to be a bigger game the next time they play that team. Here's my thesis. I'm going to talk about this with Ty Windish of Eurostep tomorrow because the Bucks and Pacers. It's, it's, rivalry might be a strong term. I like Tyrese Halliburton's way of talking about it, but I'm going to infuse my own thoughts. Tyrese Halliburton does not think it's a rivalry because the Pacers haven't been in the postseason, and that's where really these get born, and the Bucks have won a championship, right? Like, they're on different planes as teams. It's harder for that to be a rivalry. My take is it is a developing rivalry, and the biggest reason for that is twofold. One is they played in the in-season tournament, which is a bigger game. That's almost a playoff game, and the Pacers won that, and the Bucks were not happy about that. And Halliburton did the Dame celebration after that game, although they were both cordial about that. The other reason I think this is blooming more than it could beyond the in-season tournament game, and these are tied together, is that they're going to play five times in two months, right? The first time they played was mid-November. They're about to play their fifth and final game of the season on Wednesday. So you've seen them, you've seen that team a ton of times. You've had drama with them. You've had important games with them. I think it's justified to call it a rivalry. I don't know if others will. Um, Tyrese Halberton didn't use that word, and I think his justification makes a ton of sense. But I mean, clearly there's a lot of intensity in this game. TJ McConnell got a tech in this one. Bobby Portis got a tech in this one. I mean, there's going to be intensity to these Bucks games. There's going to be intensity Wednesday. Some of it's the in-season tournament. Some of it's the game ball stuff. Some of it's playing that team five times in rapid succession. Some of it's that it's a divisional foe. You can name any number of things, but this is something. It's a little more intense. It's a little more to it. There was an article in the Journal Sentinel here in Milwaukee about you know, handshakes after the last game instead of the game ball being something that rubbed the Bucks the long, wrong way. ESPN had a little on that too. So there's a lot to this. There's a lot to what this has become. We'll see what it develops into. I'll write a little bit about it uh, because I was here and asked a lot of guys questions about it. We'll see what it develops into, but they will play the Bucks again on Wednesday. So tomorrow, like I said, Ty Windish, love Ty's coverage of the Bucks. He's going to join Lockdown Patriots to talk about these two teams, their head-to-head matchups. Is it a rivalry? We'll discuss that a little bit. Uh, and what we expect from Wednesday's game, it's very hard to beat the same team twice in a row. So I think it'll be tough for the Pacers uh, from a mental perspective, but we'll see. They have beaten the Bucks twice in a row already once this season, albeit spread out, not back-to-back games. Thank you all for listening today. First show of 2024, I think it went well, despite lots of people walking around behind me and the lighting ch- changing and me being on the travel setup. But the last time on the travel setup, hopefully until at least, at least March. Uh, we'll see, though. I... I think this is the end of the holiday and and sporting event travel for me for a while. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed this stuff, though. Being at these events is fantastic. Couldn't do it without you guys listening and interacting with me. Here's to a better 2024 of good Pacers coverage. You can find me on Twitter at Tony R. East. And this show at Lockdown Pacers, easiest way to interact with me is that way. Or commenting down below on YouTube if you're watching on that. Thank you all a ton for listening. More Bucks Pacers talk tomorrow. Till then, everybody, have a fantastic day.